Well, hey there, Cove Church. I hope you have had an amazing week. Uh, for myself, I, over the last two or three weeks, I found myself drawn to, uh, if you remember the older Star Trek movies, kind of 90s uh, Star Trek movies, 80s and 90s. Um, I'm a Star Wars person normally, but I have branched out uh, as of late to, to watching those Star Trek movies. There's like 20 of them. I don't know. There's a lot. You got, you know, Captain Kirk and Jean-Luc Picard. There's a lot to watch. And uh, so they're, they're good, um, not Star Wars good, but still good. I know that probably made some of you mad, but it's just the truth. Um, but I do have an, an observation to make regarding Star Trek. I think it's supposed to take place somewhere around like the 25th century, 300 years into the future. And they have amazing technology by then. I mean, they've got the transporter beam. You can beam down to a planet. They've got warp drive engines on the ships. And so it's amazing they can go really fast. Incredible technology. But somewhere between now and then, they missed out on a very basic element that would really help them. And here's what it is. Seatbelts. You look at those movies, and whenever they get hit with a photon torpedo or they crash the ship, everybody on the bridge is flying all over the place. They're just getting crushed. They're getting hurt. It would all be saved with seatbelts, but they don't have them. It's amazing that with all their technology, they miss that most essential element, an essential element that should have remained. It happens, obviously, in the world of science fiction, but it also happens in the real world that we can move ahead in so many ways, yet lose some of the things that are most vital. It's true of many things in life, and it's profoundly true when it comes to the idea of wonder. For example, that feeling of anticipation on Christmas Day when you were a little kid, oh, that feeling of wonder. The awe of seeing a shooting star, those butterfly nerves of that first puppy love. Well, it could be with a person or a puppy, really. Those, those first moments of walking with Jesus. I think many of us remember those feelings of wonder. But I think many of us would also say wonder is, is something that's not so easy to find now. Uh, even at Christmas, right? That this time of year that we want everything to be filled with wonder. We want it to be like a Hallmark movie, yet wonder seems to fade and disappoint, just like a Hallmark movie does. And if there's any year that I think all of us could use getting our wonder back, it's this year. Bringing to mind the question, is wonder still available? Is wonder still possible? Can we dig out beneath the rubble of real-life responsibilities and crisis and confusion to find our wonder once again? And I'm here to say that, yes, it's possible. In fact, I would offer that the light God calls us to bring to this world includes bringing the light of wonder. Because wonder is the direct result of one thing. It's the direct result of getting close Jesus. It's what we see in Luke chapter 5 as Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Here's how people responded. They said everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe and they praised God exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. This is what Jesus wants to do with us. Jesus wants to remind us of where wonder comes from and here's the truth. Wonder is what happens when God shows up. 
Isn't that what we need to see right now more than anything else? Yes, we can see all that is broken. Could we see all that is bright? We see where God seems to be absent, but would we see where God is present? Would we see what God is doing? That is the wonder that we can get back to. But as much as we long to experience wonder again, life works really hard at trying to get in the way of that, doesn't it? There's an old story told as Christmas time. This boy named Sam, he asked his mom if he could have a new bike for Christmas. She said, well, actually the best thing, Sam, would be if you wrote Santa a letter and asked for a bike for Christmas, that's probably the best way to do it. But Sam had just had a, a key role in his school's nativity play. And he said, Mom, would it be okay if I just wrote to Jesus instead? You know, go right to the top and don't do the Santa thing. She said, that, that'd be fine. You can just write a letter to, to Jesus instead. So Sam went to his room and he started writing. His first letter was, well, dear Jesus, I, I've been a very good boy and I'd like to have a bike for Christmas. And then Sam thought about that and he thought, that's really not honest. <laughs> and Jesus would know that, so I can't go with that one. So he erased that and he, he started again. Uh, Dear Jesus, I'm a good boy most of the time, and I, I would like a bike for Christmas. But he thought, no, it's still not there. Jesus is going to see right through that. So he erased all that again. Third version. Dear Jesus, I could be a good boy if I tried, and it would really help me to be a good boy if I had a new bike. But he knew that Jesus wouldn't be fooled by that, and so he was kind of stumped. He decided to go on a walk to think about how to approach this. And after a little while, he approached a house that had one of those big nativity scenes set up in the yard. That's when he got an idea. So he looked around grabbed a statue and slipped it under his coat and went right back to his room. That's when he wrote this letter. Dear Jesus, if you want to see your mother again, you better get me a new bike. Nothing like a little Christmas blackmail, right? Not good, but honest. Reminds us of how quickly we can lose our wonder that we start to think that wonder is somehow found in what we have instead of realizing that wonder is found in who God is. So how do we get our wonder back, that childlike wonder? Well, we're going to engage that question today, and we're going to look at a passage from the book of Isaiah, a passage where the prophet Isaiah is correcting God's people back to God's wonder. And in it, we see some essential truths about restoring the wonder that we may have lost. And here's the first one I'll point out. Wonder is the product of genuine relationship. Isaiah 29, 13, the first part of it. Let's read it together right where you are. Big voices go. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. The context of this passage in Isaiah is that through the prophet, God is actually correcting his people in terms of their worship. Remember, they, they were very religious here, yet somehow they were still far from God. That, that's possible for all of us. We can be very religious, yet we can still be far from God. And God is bringing them back to what is genuine, what is true, not just empty words, but whole hearts. 
He's showing them what genuine worship is all about. And it's this, genuine worship of God is the expression of genuine relationship with God. You can't separate the two. And in that, God is showing us in this passage that worship and wonder are actually tied together. That authentic worship will always lead to authentic wonder because you cannot get close to God and not experience how great God is and not experience that wonder. I mean, think of all the ways we experience wonder in this world, from vast canyons to thundering waterfalls. I, I can remember skiing the summit of Mount Bachelor, and when you get off the ski lift, you turn around and you can see the entire Cascade Range from that summit. It is breathtaking. It fills you with wonder. Now think about that. If that happens, when we get close to the creation, what will happen when we get close to the creator? Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse that when we get transfixed at all that has been made, the wonder we feel points to the one who made it. And that wonder leads us to worship. That's how wonder and worship are always connected. We cannot help but experience wonder if our hearts are close to the creator. But the problem is the opposite is also true. That, that it really, it doesn't matter how many church services I go to or how many Bible studies I attend or how many scriptures I've memorized, if in all of those outward expressions, my heart is still far from God. And we forget this truth. God doesn't call us to work for him. He calls us to know him. This is something all of us, I think, can easily slip into. And it's what this passage is calling out. It's saying you're doing the right stuff with the wrong heart. And the right stuff done with the wrong heart becomes the wrong stuff. We're not just called to do God things. We're called to know God. That's our worship. Worship literally means worth ship, assigning value, and to God we assign ultimate value, and in that worship becomes the key that unlocks wonder. Think of Mary in the Christmas story, when she heard the news that she is carrying the Christ. Her response is, I'm God's servant. Let it be as you say. She's acknowledging God's greatness. She's filled with wonder. Here in Isaiah, the God whose name is wonderful, that God gives the people himself. See, genuine relationship with God, it produces genuine wonder. But just like this passage warns us, we have to watch out for the counterfeits. That I can say the right things, but my heart could be far away. And God is calling each of us close because wonder is the product of genuine relationship. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Wonder is the product of direct response. 
The passage continues, Isaiah 29, 13, the second part. It says, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Hmm. The prophet is pointing out this mistake that we can all make by trying to apply God's truth without God's presence. Meaning we just kind of package up some behavior, some kind of God-oriented behaviors, but we don't include God in any of it. The great challenge of life in Christ is to move beyond man's commands and to move into God's commands. That's a tough thing because this actually deals with our hearts. This deals with our motives and our fears and our desires. That's what Jesus is always trying to get to. And the problem is I can begin to live out this relationship with God that's all based on my ideas and on all these externals and on all, these, all, all of my commands. And I can do that. And in doing so, I might end up actually not seeking the God of the universe anymore. I actually start to seek a God that I made up. And I end up worshiping something that's not him. I make an idol. You know, there was a teacher who asked a class of young kids, what, what kind of things your parents do in their spiritual life, you know, in terms of, of worship? And one kid says, well, my mom stands in front of a cross and, and makes a symbol over her heart. Another kid said, well, my dad burns incense by a little gold statue. And the last kid said, well, my mom goes into the bathroom and stands on this square thing on the bathroom floor that these numbers move around on it. And then when they stop, she cries out, oh, my Lord. <laughs> a lot of different expressions of worship out there. Because we, as a people, have this wiring in us to worship something. And if it's not God, it will be something else. That's why people worship their football team or their job or their pets or their car or their abs. Our lives become wrapped up in those things because of this. Whatever we worship becomes our God. And where we begin to live and teach our own commandments, not God's, we effectively create an idol. And in that we miss everything including wonder, because the God that we create does not possess wonder. And so we get let down. We get disappointed because we're looking for answers in places that we are guaranteed not to find them. I think many of us have done this. We, we maybe worship that relationship and it unravels. Or we worship that occupation and it ends. Or we worship that role that we play in life and it changes. And we find ourselves disappointed again. Yet if we would worship the one true God, wonder becomes possible because we finally see that which we cannot create. We see the God whose ways are higher than ours. In this world... All we see is what it has to offer. And if that's all we see, that can be very, very depressing. I mean, yes, nature is beautiful, but from the people side of this world, not so great, right? I mean, look at media and politics and we see depravity and we see corruption. There is not a lot of wonder in that other than I wonder what's next. Yet we still try to find our wonder in this world system or in ourselves or in our abilities 
And we have to come to the conclusion, no wonder there's no wonder. But Christmas is the story of God breaking through, of God showing up. And when God does that, all who are near cannot help but wonder because it's a direct response to moving beyond what man can do and seeing what only God can do. It's like in the last two or three months, uh, our staff here at Cove Church, we've been giving out these sunshine boxes uh, just to encourage folks in our church. Maybe, uh, I think a lot of you have probably got them. We gave out close to a thousand, I believe. And uh, just last week, there was a story that someone wrote to us. They said they were having just, you know, kind of a, a, a tougher day. They're actually in the midst of a conversation with God, asking God, do you see me? God, do you know where I'm at? Have I fallen off of your radar? You know, those kinds of conversations that maybe we've all had at some point, just at a difficult time. And it was right in the midst of that conversation with God, they, they heard their dog bark. And they looked out the front and they could see the sunshine box with the little yellow balloon and opened it up. And it was a reminder to them that yes, God sees them. And yes, God loves them, just like he loves you. It's those kinds of things, those kinds of timings that, that only God can create because we serve a God of wonder. So wonder becomes a, a product of direct response, that I respond to God alone. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Wonder is the product of informed hope. We'll finish out this passage. Isaiah 29, 14 says, Behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. God will do it again. See, in the most real way, all of us who walk with Jesus are to be a people that are purchased by hope, a hope in what God is going to do. And we have that hope because we've already seen what God has done. It is an informed hope. It is not a blind hope. We realize that the God who has already done so much isn't finished with us. We share this understanding that the passage shows us that God will again do wonderful things, wonder upon wonder. And even when it seems dark, our hope is found in knowing that, yes, friend, the light will come again. That there is more that God wants to do in you and in your neighbors and in your family and in your enemies. And we can live in that expectancy for this reason. It's not that we hope for too much. It's that we settle for too little. Wonder upon wonder is the promise. And we can hope in that. You know, in 1981, uh, there's a millionaire named Eugene Land. He was asked to speak to a sixth grade class in East Harlem. 51 sixth graders, 50% of whom statistically would be dropouts before graduation. Mr. Land wrestled with that. He thought, how could I possibly inspire these students to, to break that cycle? And when he stepped up to speak, it, it came to him. And so he, he scrapped his notes and he spoke from the heart. He said, kids, I want you to stay in school. And he made this promise. He said, I will help pay 
the college tuition for every single one of you who graduates and gets accepted to a college. And at that moment, the lives of those students were changed. One student said, for the first time ever, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. They said it was a golden feeling. Do you know that out of 51 students, 48 graduated from high school and more than half went to college? That's the power of hope. This is what hope does. It gives us something ahead, something to look forward to, something to know that whatever darkness today holds, that light is still possible. Here in this passage, God promises wonder upon wonder, stacked up like cordwood. That's hope. Jesus told us that greater things would we do even than he did. These are the promises of wonder. But I think what happens is amidst our limited perspective, we actually end up limiting God. And in that we limit our wonder. We've, end up, we've ended up making God too small and limited ourselves to what we can do and what we can see. And it's there that of course we're gonna lose our wonder. But an informed hope allows us to lift our eyes and to see God's wonder again. Because wonder is the product of an informed hope. God did it before. God will do it again. I'll wrap up with this. Years ago, there was a family in Washington State. They lived out in the country. The youngest boy, his name was Marty. He was a sweet, energetic boy. He had this habit of cocking his head to the side when he would talk to you because Marty uh, was born deaf in one ear. Now, Marty loved Christmas, as so many kids do, but this year and the months prior, his, his mom noticed he was especially dutiful in his chores, just really getting after it. And, and she noticed that what he would do was, with his allowance, he wasn't spending it on candy, but he was actually saving it in a special place. And she wasn't sure exactly what he was up to. Now, Marty had this best friend that lived right next door on the neighboring property. And his best friend's name was Kenny. And they would spend just about every day together. You know, two little boys just doing outdoor stuff, chasing squirrels and finding lizards and frogs. And they were inseparable. Now, even though Marty's family was not wealthy by any stretch, Kenny's family was very, very poor. And it had been a hard year with a lot of setbacks. And that's how it became clear to Marty's mom what Marty was up to, because he approached her a few days before Christmas and showed her what he had done with all his allowance. And he produced a box with a small pocket compass, the kind that he had always wanted. But he said, I bought this to give to Kenny. I want him to have a good Christmas. Now, his mom thought that was wonderful, but she realized the neighbors were a proud people and, and she didn't want them to feel this need, this pressure to have to repay in kind. She told Marty about that concern and he understood. And he said, I know, I'll give it to him in secret. And so on that wet, dark Christmas Eve night, Marty put on his boots over his PJs, put on his coat, slugged through the muddy pasture, went under the electric fence to place that wrapped box with Kenny's name on it right on the neighbor's porch. 
where he ran the doorbell, rang the doorbell and ran. In his excitement on the way back and in the dark, he forgot about the electric fence and ran right into it. Bang! Knocked him down, leaving this angry welt across his face. Stunned and frightened, he slowly got up and walked the rest of the way home. His mom saw the whole thing happen from the kitchen window, and so she attended to him, gave him hot chocolate. And as he went to bed, his mom was thinking, what a, what a shame for a kid who was just trying to do something nice for something like that to happen. Well, the next day, Christmas Day, as you can imagine, Marty's friend Kenny came over just so excited about this new compass, no idea where it came from, and Marty just, just listened and enjoyed listening to the excitement of his friend. And it was there that his mom noticed something curious. Marty wasn't cocking his head anymore. <laughs> something had changed. A later doctor's appointment would confirm the truth. Somehow the shock of the electric fence had restored Marty's hearing. So it seems more than one young boy received a miracle that Christmas. And all who saw it were filled with wonder. See, there is a story of wonder that God wants to write in each of our lives today. A story that comes from a genuine relationship with God, from a direct response to God, and from an informed hope in God. And often that story is written when we finally let go of what we feel like we need to grasp so we can finally be fully held by the one who is gripping us. This is where we see him. This is where wonder becomes possible because wonder is what happens when God shows up. And I don't know about you, but I desperately want to see God show up. So if you long to experience wonder, Yet again, my encouragement, go to the source. Even today, even in this moment, go to the source. Find your way to Jesus. Just be with him. In fact, if you want to start or restart your relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to just click that little raised hand button saying, I want Jesus in my life, and he's going to meet you. And for all of us today, I want to remind you that wonder is possible because true wonder is found in one place. It's found in the presence of the wonderful God. Let's pray.